All right. Hey, brother. <laughs> <laughs> I, won't, I won't put that in the outtakes. <laughs> Sorry. Hello and welcome to the first ever episode of Longball Football. Uh, if you're listening to this, uh, I have no idea how you found it, but thank you for listening. <laughs> this is um, a brand new podcast from myself, Albert, and my brother, Barney. We're recording uh, remotely. I'm in London and Barney's in Newcastle. How's your week been, Barney? It's been good, man. I've really, I've really, really enjoyed it. The moment we've had the idea, my mind has just been overdrive um you wanna, do yeah. you wanna tell me how the idea came about well it was like last weekend wasn't it so um hmm. we decided to have a crack at the fantasy football for the portuguese league got our teams together and then um i think it was from that we just said you know what we should do do a podcast yeah uh, I'm, i might uh, file it under one of barney's crazy ideas but the better <laughs> ones so um yeah full disclosure neither of us are journalists we're not uh, authorities on portuguese football this podcast is going to be you know more about just us two enjoying diving headfirst into a brand new football culture for us um learning as we go sharing with you guys yeah. um that's the yeah that's the thing that i've really enjoyed is it's it, you are learning like i thought uh, we we both have quite an extensive football knowledge but then when you start like trying to get into the league and watching the games and trying to have a find opinions and mm. realize that there's, there's it's there's so much to learn and i think that's what's going to come across in these problems as we go through we'll just we'll be learning we'll have a bit more of an understanding of what's going on i think it's i mean it would be fair to say we're not total uh beginners to portugal and portuguese football though we do have some background i mean do you want to do you want to talk about your prior knowledge of portuguese football or um anything you've watched before stuff like that yeah, I mean, of course, like, when I was getting into the Premier League and, like, growing up as a teenager, you had, like, Deco and then Ronaldo coming to Man U from Sporting. And that's when you first start to become aware. Obviously, Jose Mourinho as well, mm. what he did with Porto. Yeah, what he achieved with Porto, I think, really kind of, for for English people, certainly, or followers of the Premier League, I think it's fair to say that put uh, Portuguese football on the map, really. I mean, people would have been aware historically of... Benfica, Sporting Lisbon, teams like that. But for for a team like Porto, who I think it's fair to say at the time were not, you know, it wasn't normal for, you know, it's similar to how it is now. It probably wasn't normal for a Portuguese team to really compete at the top level for him to take Porto. It's crazy. Yeah. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. Like, and uh, as well, myself, I've, I've visited Porto now three times and like, it's, it's, it's not a big city at all. Like, mm. it's, Portugal is not a big country at yeah. all. It's and that achievement is yeah is is amazing and not only that the conveyor belt of players that come out of Portugal, be it Portuguese or Brazilians, yeah, it's it's they've consistently like produced amazing players. It's pretty remarkable. Um, I think for me this interest in Portuguese football came about. I started I started going to Portugal sort of semi regularly, trying to go once or twice a year about about three years ago now. I was, at that time, I was learning to speak Portuguese formally. Um, these days, I haven't had a formal lesson 
in a very long time. So I think I'm, um, my one phrase that I know how to say fluently is uh, estomito enferrujado, which means I'm very rusty because every time I speak to a Portuguese person, I have to tell them that I'm very rusty. <laughs> um, I've, got, I've been using this app recently because I was also wanting to learn Portuguese. Um, and it gives you a few, few words a day to learn. Uh-huh. So like this week I've nailed down um opal, which is bread. <laughs> um, or cucumelo, which I think is either mushroom or cheese, I can't remember. It's not cheese, um, but it must be mushroom. <laughs> <laughs> it must be mushroom. <laughs> yeah, so the way we're gonna try and structure this is each week we're both gonna try and watch as many games from the Portuguese first division as we can. Um and just sort of discuss them between ourselves, see, you know talking points and then come back here and discuss with each other about which games we watched you know which plays stood out which games stood out and hopefully as the season goes on we'll both learn a lot about the different players and which teams are we're impressed with and yeah. i mean that's the thing man after this weekend there's so many journeys and stories with players that you can trace back and yeah. sometimes they link into the premier league sometimes they link to other leagues and it's it's absolutely fascinating like I mean, this league, I think, is incredible for finding players that you would would no other league would find. Like mm-hmm. their scouting networks in different countries. I, yeah, yeah, I've absolutely loved it. Yeah, it's been a great week, and yeah, we're both just really excited about these games. Um, so the game we're going to kick off this week with was one game that you watched, Barney, and that was CD Nacional three, Boa Vista three. I mean, I didn't manage to catch the game myself. I watched the highlights, but from the scoreline alone, it sounds like it was a proper game. It was a proper game, man. So yeah, it was CD Nacional Boa Vista. 3-3, really, really good game. A bit of context to the game. CD Nacional won Liga Pro, which is the second league um, last season. They lost twice, I think. Looks really strong. And they certainly carried that through into the performance. They were playing as a team with confidence. Clearly one that had won a lot of games last season. They hadn't really brought anyone new in. They had two new centre-backs, but otherwise it was pretty much the same team as last year. And you contrast that with Vista. He had one player who was sort of consistently playing for them last season in the starting eleven. That just showed completely. They seemed to like they couldn't really keep hold of the ball. Um, they were giving CD Nacional so much like space to run at them, and then you know they weren't pressing at all in the in CD Nacional's half. And Nacional just knocked the ball around, controlling the game, but they just didn't look anywhere near it. Um, and then sort of against the run of play, Angel Angel Gomez, um, obviously ex Man U, he was playing as a number ten. Had the freedom just to go anywhere over the pitch. Yeah, he just held his run, dropped off the back line in the hole and uh, managed to slip one through to Gustavo Sauer to open the scoring. But going back to the match, there was a, a debutant for Burvista, another debutant, who, um, Alejandro Gomez. Now, he's this 18-year-old Mexican centre-back on, okay. on loan from Atlas, I think. Okay. Um, he was... So bad, man. Um, he got made an absolute fool. Um, Riascos, CD Nashel striker, who oh. I thought was really good. He was number 94 for them. He, he was just having a lovely old time with him. Um, how, old is, um, how old is the Mexican centre-back? 18, young Ooh. lad. Oh. They've given him the number four shirt. I don't know. Obviously, you're going to see more, hopefully see more of him this season. But um, Riascos, I think, nicks the ball of him that halfway line and just runs through and goal. There's no way Gomez is catching there. And a little bit later as well, after getting the, the equaliser, he goes in to create the second for CD Nacional, um, cutting it back to Joel Victor, who's a new guy from Brazil. So yeah, CD Nacional have done really well to get themselves back into the game, having not deserved to come, go behind. And then just before the break, there's this... I feel so bad for them. So 
Kalindi, who I mentioned before, the right back for Zidane National. He gets he'd been knocked about the park, tackles flying, and he'd taken a few hits, and eventually has to come off just before half time. And as he's getting the treatment, and obviously the right backs off the pitch, Burby's just attacked that that side. Yeah. So um, RC Mangus, the left back for Burvista, just gets down, does a lovely one-two, Angel Gomez, who just does a beautiful chip just over the centre back and drops back down to Mangus, who just finishes, and it's two-two. Sounds like it was quite harsh on CD Nacional then. Oh man, it's just like it's just one of those things like you're about to go into one up at half time. Yeah. Your player comes off injured and receives treatment and then they just hit that side where he's missing and Yeah. Must I suppose the wind out of you going into half time two one up. Such a different mindset thing to going in two two having conceded late. And they've been the better team as well. But um yeah, lovely assist from Andrew Gomez again. Second half was a bit more even. I think Burbist obviously had a better feel for the game. Gomez again. Uh, creating a few chances had a little break down the left hand side he was soon to be dropping in a bit more the second half trying to pick the ball up deeper mm. but he gets gets the breakaway um, I think and then um, he cuts it back to Sauer for his second of the game to take um, Bovis the 3-2 up then yeah right at the end like um, I was so happy for the man like uh, I think it was just a cross like a, a whipped and cross sort of hopeful and uh, Camacho then number seven for Cine National he gets the header and he, I was just really, really happy with him because out of the two teams, they just, I feel yeah. they would have been disappointed with the draw even. Like they really, really uh, outplayed Burvista, I thought. They looked really good. I was really impressed with them. I watched some of the highlights back. I was quite impressed with, I was actually quite impressed with Sauer for Boavista. He got two of the yeah. goals. I thought he looked quite bright. But um, yeah, I agree with you. I think Nacional were probably the better team on the day. Yeah, so we're going to move on to the next game and we were, I mean, we couldn't have picked a better weekend to start this podcast because we had some absolutely fantastic games. The second of which was Family Sal 1, Benfica 5. We chatted before this game and we you know, we gave our predictions. Barney said 2-1 Benfica. I said 3-0 Benfica. It turns out we added them together and got 5-1 Benfica. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't think, I don't think either of us... I mean, I think we both expected Benfica to win. Spent a lot of money. They clearly got the better team, but I don't think either of us really expected quite how... Um, uh, quite how dominant Benfica would be, especially coming off a hugely damaging Champions League defeat to Pauk from Greece. I mean, we're not going to go into the Pauk game. I think at this point it's probably been discussed yeah. quite a lot. But um, it's big for them though because you know that's them out of the Champions League, and yeah. with all this money they've spent, we'll come on to talk more about Benfica's transfers after the game. But I mean, what a game! Yeah, Benfica right out of the box, so impressive. I mean. The way they pre- the way they pressed Famalicao, out, they gave them absolutely no time on the ball. They had no time to play their game, and Benfica were were pretty ruthless. They played a lot of their new players, and a lot of big performers from last year were dropped. No Pizzi, no Weigel starting, yeah. no Vinicius, who was top scorer in Premier League last season. They went with new signing Darwin Nunes up front, Ford Schmidt, Everton. They all looked really good. I thought Ford Schmidt looked fantastic, and he was the one who got the first goal. 20 minutes in. He just sort of bro- he just sort of broke through. You know, he, I didn't know where he was going to play because, you know, I didn't know if he was a striker or if he was a... I don't think either of us knew much I heard someone before describe, the season started. Well, I heard someone describe him as a, like Podolsky and I think that was a really good way of describing him because yeah, he's, not, he's not he's not a striker. He's, he's in the behind and around and, yeah, I thought he, he was so quick and sharp and he, he just seems to want to get 
dribble and get past a defender or two. And that's how he got the first. And then, yeah, Everton getting the second, another one of their new signings. Lovely finish from outside the box as well. But for me, best goal, I think best goal in the game, number three from Grimaldo, the left back. What a free kick, by the way. Oh, as soon as he stood over it, as soon as he stood over it, I knew that was Oh, good. man. It was perfect position, first of all. Absolutely perfect. And, oh, it's... How lucky are we that we've got Grimaldo and Alex Terrace who were coming to later in the Premier League? Like, I know, I know. Oh. I know, yeah. I mean, he's... It was... It's funny because, you know, Benfica, you know, a lot of, there's been a lot of talk about Alex Tellez. You know, again, we'll talk about that in a second when we're talking about the Porto game. But he's been talked about as, you know, it's quite unique for a team to have such a talisman at left back. It's not really a position that you would associate with one of the biggest players in your team. But I think it's quite easy to overlook Grimaldo in the same way. I mean, he missed, so Grimaldo missed um, the restart of last season. Um, through injury he didn't play they played uh, Tavares at left back good young left back but I mean Grimaldo made such a difference as an you know from left back as an attacking threat I just I was so impressed mm. he was see yeah, I actually thought in the first half Benfica were just hitting that right hand side mm. and I think like Andre Amodi and Rafael on that right mm. they just had so much joy and I, I couldn't for the life of me work out what formation for Malaga were playing yeah, I think I couldn't know three at the back or four at the back I don't know but it looked like I think they were playing three at the back, and they had the new sign of the Donk, who I think mainly played left back last year in the Dutch league. And they had him there, and he was just he was miles away from it, and he just they had so much space. And Vertonghen, he was just loving it because he could just ping those balls to the right hand side all day. Yeah. And then when the Donk did get to Rafa, he, Rafa was just had him on toast. He just it wasn't close at all. And um, it was a really it was a really difficult performance for the Donk. He was his debut as well, and he got. Absolutely left behind. I mean, the manager took him off at half time. I think that was more just to protect him more than anything because he, he was eating alive the whole game. Miles away. Miles away. There were there were plenty of players that we could um that we could praise from Benfica. I think everyone performed well, but someone I want to talk about and anyone who listens to more than one episode of this show is gonna to have to forgive us because we are gonna bang on about Adele Tarapt uh, until the cows come. Oh man. What a player. I mean, it's incredible. I mean I went I saw Benfica last summer no last September in the Champions League against uh, RB Leipzig and I remember going to Lisbon you know I was on holiday to try and practice my language I knew I wanted to go to the football stadium just to kind of experience a big match I went to the me, we both have a similar expensive habit of buying football shirt souvenirs <laughs> I went to uh, I went to the uh, Benfica club shop to pick up a shirt I got absolutely roped into a deal they had if you spend 85 euros in the shop, you get two free Champions League tickets. They got me hook, line and sinker. So I was like, right. <laughs> 85 euros. Uh, and, but I, at the time, I didn't know any, I didn't really know any Benfica players. So I was looking down the list and they had it in number order. And I got all the way down to number 49, Adele Tarata. Oh, oh my God. I completely forgot that this guy was playing in Benfica. Let's just quickly paint the story of Adele Tarata at Benfica. I don't know when he signed. I mean, Again, apologies. There's not going to be loads of nailed on stats. Here. I can't remember when he signed. Maybe 2017, 2018, something like yeah. that. Was stuck in the B team, never played a game, was accused of being fat and lazy. I think he went on loan to Genoa, maybe. Something Did he like even go to Milan or something at one point? I can't remember. He, I know he played for Milan at some point, but he was an absolute outcast. And then he gets his break when Bruno Large is appointed as manager of Benfica, who had managed him when he was being forced to play with the under-21s. And 
I sent you. I remember sitting in the stadium, sending you a text saying Adele Tarrapt is playing like fucking Perlo. I mean, this, <laughs> playing. We, I mean, because we remember him from Tottenham, right? We remember him from QPR, and QPR, uh-huh. he was like an incredibly skillful winger. You know, quick beating players, and this guy was playing holding midfield, picking up the ball and just picking the perfect pass every time. I couldn't believe it. I watched him the whole game. There were players like Timo Werner was on the pitch, Pizzi was on mm. the pitch, Rafa was on the pitch, and I was just watching Adele Tarrapt. And I thought, you know, against Famalicao, maybe in the second half he was a bit quieter, but first half he put on such a performance. I mean, from central midfield, tall, strong, powerful. I mean, we're talking about a player who accused, who's been accused of being lazy, who was, you know, mm. sprinting back and winning tackles of the attacking midfielders for Famalicao, you know, pressing high, not giving them a second of the ball, and then, you know, running down the right wing and beating his man and putting a, a great ball into the box. Um, you know, I think you you did quite an apt likeness when you said he looked like Pogba when he's in form. <laughs> Man, he did. I yeah. think he was absolutely un- unbelievable. And I, I obviously I knew from last year that he was there and he was playing in that position. Yeah. And he's clearly played that a lot last season as well. And seeing him this time, it was. Yeah. He, it, it looks like the position was made for him. He's just he's absolutely got it down. I think the fifth or I think the fifth goal for them. You know, he did, he's deep in his own half. I think he gets the ball, a lovely bit of footwork and skill, turns around and just goes and starts to break, gets yeah. up to the halfway line, slips it through to Darwin and Walsh Schmidt. And then, yeah, and then they just get that the fifth goal. And it was, yeah, uh, uh, we're just going to talk a lot about him this season, I just know, <laughs> because it's such a story. What, it's such a story. What a player. And yeah, and, and, and I think he sort of epitomised what was such a great performance. Benfica it was, you know, not just individual talent but it was uh, self-belief and hard work as well which I was impressed with a lot of players for that exact reason um, I mean we should talk about Family South for a moment because they I think you know people who follow the league and follow the transfers will probably have seen possibly have seen this performance coming from them um, but it is disappointing because they were such a fairy tale story from, from last year mm. well I mean I was I had a look at them because yeah so they they finished sixth last season having been promoted the season before which is to get into that top six in that Portuguese league is, you know, that's quite something. When I was looking at the history of some of the other clubs in the league, you know, their best ever finishes sixth, their best ever finishes seventh. So that is really is quite something. Mm. Um, I think they had the fifth highest goals last season. Wow. Um, most goals from counter attacks. Wow. Um, and I was really, really excited to see them play when I haven't, like, had a look into that. Their manager, João Pedro Souza, who I had a little look into. So he got the job last season when they got promoted. And he was, um, people remember, Marco Silva's assistant for basically Marco Silva's whole career. That's going to be interesting because Marco Silva, in, we were a bit aware of his football and his style. Jao Pedro Souza really had something going last season. And I didn't see any of that in this game. I think they've lost, they lost quite a few players. They had, they had um, players like Rasic from Valencia. Fabio Martins was a top goal scorer. He's gone back to Braga. Mm-hmm. Uh, Diego Goncalves was their top assist last season, but he's gone back to Benfica and I think he even came on in this game. Mm-hmm. So they've lost a few, quite a few players and it will be interesting to see if they can do it again this, this season. Yeah, well, I think Benfica definitely laid down a marker for this season. Um, yeah, the team that will be looking over their shoulder, of course, is Porto. You watched this game, didn't you? So yeah, this one, um, this one ended 3-1 Porto. It was a good game. Uh, it could have it could have gone a different way, and there was um, a real key moment in it. It was quite even at the start. Braga got their goal at about twenty minutes. Andre Castro got it. Um, lovely late running from the centre mid. He just bombed yeah. in and just gets there to defend the 
nice finish. Literally two touches after Porto kickoff after that goal. They lose the ball. I think it was Ali Maserati. He plays a through ball straight away from that through to um, Abba Ruiz and he finishes it. The really nice finish. Mm. Now, what I've really enjoyed about Portuguese games is with the VAR decision for offside, they show you the the amount of centimetres they were offside. Really? Okay. And he was, I think he was eight centimetres offside. It was just so shocking because, you know, it was literally like, they. I think they, in the actual real life, in the real life time of the game, they, they barely finished on the replay and then they'd scored again and it was just like, oh my God. But yeah, eight centimetres offside. And then, yeah, that's, that's when the tide seems to start turning. It was really bad game management from uh, Braga. Like, you're about to go in half-time, one love against Porto. Literally, 50, 45th minute. Um, Alex Taylor gets it on the left-hand side. I don't know what the right wing-back was doing. He just did not get out to him. I don't like, it's him. You need to get the, you need to close down the cross because he's going to whip it in. And he whips it in. Sergio Oliveira leaps up, heads it in. I mean... He's, he's got like one of those ponytails, but like um, Andy Carroll. And when he heads it, the ponytail comes loose and it just goes, his hair goes everywhere. Um, absolutely thumping header, yeah. Um, and then that's 1-1. One, one. Yeah. And you've got two more minutes of extra time to play before you know, you're going at halftime. So you've just, you just concede a goal. What you don't want to do is give away a soft pen oh. right at the death. And um, that's exactly what they did. Um, it was Mr. Morega for Porto. He um, turns his man in the box and goes down, wins the pen. But he celebrates it like it's um, basically like it's a goal, and and I guess you would if you've got Alex Teller's taking them. It's just you know when someone celebrates a pen, it just doesn't quite feel right. You know what I mean? When winning the pen just yeah. doesn't sit right. Andre Horta for Braga, he missed a few good chances the rest of the game. Eventually, um, Porto got the got the third from Medi Taremi. He does a really nice run. Yeah, gets another pen. It was such a poor pen to give. Like the defender just like. It was so over what Torreira was going to do. Like the defender just seemed a bit lazy, just got close to him, trips him over, and then Tellers puts it in the exact same spot. I wrote down no doubt because you know <laughs> he's not going to miss those. I mean, yeah, it was an alright game. Like I said, it, it just could have. It was that moment where Braga scored two in like a minute. It yeah. just complete like if that had been if that had stayed, it could have been a completely different game. But. Um, Poor game management from Braga. Like, you know, you're 1-0 no up from 45 plus one minutes and then you go in half-time, 2-1 down. It sounds like Braga will be um, sort of ruining their own mistakes as opposed to Porto really laying down an imperious performance. Braga have got a new manager this season, of course. Someone English football fans will be familiar with. Uh, Carlos Cavaliao, who managed Swansea and Sheffield Wednesday. How did he find himself uh, managing Braga this season? Well, it looks like he... He was with Rio Alves last season and got them into Europe, obviously, which is pretty good. Mm. Um, and I guess Braga thinks he, they can, he can take this team forward. I think they've brought in a few people, like I mentioned Ali Masrati earlier, who I think was at Grimmers last season. And of course, Nico Gaitan was a huge signing for Braga. He didn't start. I think he's injured at the moment, but that's, a good, that's, a, that's definitely a good sign. I mean, he's, um, I think. he's probably going to be, you know, obviously older than he was when he played for Benfica. Probably won't have quite the same impact, but... You know, in terms of a big name signing, I think obviously they've lost um, Francesco Trincao to Barcelona. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he was the highest on assists last season. Um, but they've brought in Angel Ruiz from Barcelona B. I think he played once for Barcelona, um, mm-hmm. and they've spent nine million on him. And he started obviously up front. Um, Paulinho was injured, that's why he didn't start their top goal scorer last season. So yeah, I think they've got options. I think it's just if they can push on. 
and it, it, I think it will be quite a feat to keep Sporting off that third spot. But if they can close the gap, because I think they were 16 points off Benfica at the end of last season, which is quite significant. Yeah. But if they can do that, then that'd be great. And I think from what I remember of Carlos Calva when he was at Swansea, that style of football, I think, suits the team they've got, the squad they've got and what they've been doing for a while. So, um, yeah, we'll have to see. Uh, you mentioned Mediterranean winning the second penalty. I think he was probably one of Porto's marquee signings, but he didn't start the game. No, I was surprised by that because I think he, they started with Musa Morega, who was obviously very good for them. I think he got 12 last season, but Taremi got 18. I don't know much about the guy. I just saw that, you know, 18 yeah, I mean, goals. I had to look him up as well. I mean, he obviously signed from Rio Ave. 28 years old, so he's not a young player. I think they signed him from a Saudi Arabian team as well. So quite a... Quite, they a, quite cheap as well, didn't they? I believe so. It sounds like it was a good bit of scouting to bring him over. Yeah, no, I think he'll... It'll be interesting to see what they do with their strikers and who they start with. I mean, it looks like they are going having a different tactic in the transfer market to what Benfica are doing, say. Yeah, um, and I think, you know, on paper, when you look at it, but when the season started and the strikers that uh, Porto had, Taremi, Musa Morega, Z. Luiz and Fabio Silva, it's become clear quite obviously since that some of those players don't have a future at Porto. I think, I mean, we need to have a discussion about, I don't think we need to get into transfers now because Porto have had a particularly interesting transfer window. I mean, I think it would be quite interesting to compare their transfer window uh, and Benfica's transfer window. I mean, you look at Benfica clearly uh, reeling from what happened last season. The fans are furious. You know, the players are embarrassed. Um, to lose the title in the manner that they did was, was uh, quite spectacular. And they've gone... You know, they've spent a lot of money. It's well documented they spent 80 million euros so far. The transfer window is still mm-hmm. open. Um, they've gone for some uh, relatively very big players, you know, household names. They they obviously got Fatongan in the end on a free agent. They quite... They've paid him five mil, by the way, for that. Did they really? Five mil signing bonus, I read. That's wow. not bad. Blimey. Well, and we know where they went. Well, they obviously went for him for, you know, Champions League experience, big Premier League experience. Um, they very publicly courted Edinson Cavani for a long time. Oh, man. A lot of people thought that that one was signed. Um, obviously, didn't go that to go that way in the end. But Benfica, you've got Benfica on the one hand since spending £80 million on uh, proven European players. They got Vorschmidt from Germany. They got Everton from Brisbane. I think Everton's... Everton will be playing because Arsenal last January were rumoured with him, and you know I think that shows just like like sort of what he is. European teams. I think he was linked with Everton, um, Arsenal, and Napoli as well at one mm-hmm. point. Um, I remember hearing um, Tim Vickery talk about Everton, saying he was almost worried that because a lot of Brazilian players move when they're really young, and so once you get into that 23, 24, 25 age, maybe your time's passed you by. Um, but Benfica, obviously, Jorge Jesus coming from. Uh, Flamengo knew him very well. I think it was a no-brainer. I mean, we know we we talked about how well he did. Um, they weren't afraid to dip into the international transfer market as well. They got Volschmidt from Germany. I mean, they've signed two German players now. Weigel they signed from Borussia Dortmund. Um, they got Darwin. Darwin's an interesting. Darwin's a very interesting signing. I mean, you know, it's almost funny you can compare it to. Obviously, they lost out on Cavani, so they went from they went for a, uh, you know, not quite similar, but they went for a Uruguayan striker. I think. 11 years younger than him, but a very different type of signing. Yeah, I mean, so he was playing the second league in Spain last season. Mm-hmm. I think it was, I think it was top goal scorer, I can't remember, but 
21 mil, you know, on a player from the second tier of Spain. My favourite stat. Do you know who this, the second most expensive person to come out of the second league in Spain is? Um, I wish I knew much, enough about Spanish football to answer that question. <laughs> it's, so Darwin went for 21 million. For 20 million back, I think 2001, was Jimmy Frode Hasselbaut going from Atletico Madrid <laughs> to Chelsea. I mean, that's mad, isn't it? Wow. Yeah, but I, mean, I thought I think that's good business. He's young. I thought he looked quite good yesterday. Um, I've got a little quote actually from uh, Jorge Jesus about about him um, because I was surprised they've got Vinicius, who was top goals. Was he top goal scorer last season? I think he was been rumored with Tottenham. Uh, Safarovic as well, who I think had quite a good season last season. But yeah, Jorge Jesus said this. Um, I didn't ask for any striker. I said that we need to have one who knows how to attack the last line and gain space. Vinicius and Severic do not have these characteristics. Wow. Like, that's pretty damning, isn't it? And yeah, and it's a sign of what he wants to change because it's becoming clearer and clearer that Jorge Jesus does not rate Vinicius. And I find that really surprising. Is that they're a player that he's a player that they invested not only a lot of money in, but they relied on him last season and he was the top scorer. I mean, it's, it's strange to hear Jorge Jesus say that he doesn't think he has characteristics he needs because. What more characteristic do you need than being the top scorer in the division that you're being asked to play in? You know. Well, this is what I'm, I'm interested in because he, he's clearly got a style he wants to play and he's got, he's, he's going to want to do that. It could mean that he might be trying to bring more people in. They're going to have to sell somewhere because you know they've already splashed out and it'll be interesting to see if players like Tarab can keep their place, which I really hope he can. Weigel, mm. um, he mentioned Richard Dortmund. He was highly rated in Germany, but I don't think he's... He's got many games last season, so we'll see how he does this season. He played, he played uh, games uh, towards the end of last season. I think, I think the fans kind of warmed to him a bit. Oh more. yeah, so we'll just have to see. Looking at Porto's transfer business as well, Benfica have made some massive statements, and I, I know Porto seems to have been buying within the league, and whether that works out for them or not, we'll have to see. But it's going to be interesting. It seems like Porto have almost. I mean, I was thinking about this the other day. I think, um, and I want to give a big shout out to um, a a website that we both read quite a lot called Tuga Scout. I read a really fantastic article. Mm. Um, there's a journalist there called Alex Gonzalez who does some... I mean, if you're interested in Portuguese football and you read in English, I think it's a really invaluable website. He did a great article about um, about how Porto have been sacrificing their youth to try and preserve the current generation of players. And it really got me thinking about... Um, yeah, about the different transfer windows that Porto and Benfica have had. Uh, obviously, Benfica signing a lot of big-name players, spending a lot of fees... And Porto really not making that any flashy signings at all, you know. Mediterrami, I know to people who know the Portuguese league, it's it's very it's a very um it's a very smart signing for them, you know. Top scorer in their league last season, comes from within the division, they're not paying, you know, a big fee that they would have to pay if they sourced him from abroad. Yeah. I mean they made some they made some understated signings from uh, within Premier League, they signed they signed Sanusi, left back from Santa Clara, Ramos, the goalkeeper from Tondela, and of course you mentioned before, uh, Carasa was a big signing from Boa Vista. I mean, buying your local, I mean, I know sort of in a uh, battling out for the title where they're not really rivals, but in a, in a local sense, you know, buying your rivals captain, uh, it's quite a, it's quite a bigger. Uh... I know, but also two of those people were on the free as well. Um, yeah. You know. It, 82 million from Benfica and I don't know how much support they've spent and they've obviously made a huge problem from the Zalfalio Silva to were, you, were you surprised by that move? Not only was I surprised by the move I was surprised by the transfer fee 
I mean, for, oh, the fee was huge for an 18 year old striker. I think he made six appearances last season. Yeah. I mean, and it, not only in this climate as well, but like Wolves have always come across as quite sensible, like being quite smart in the transfer market. Yeah. And if this is a smart transfer, then he's going to be unreal. If like if he if this comes off, like yeah. I, I'm really looking for, I really want to see how he does. I think he had a hard debut, didn't he? Mister Sitter, yeah, not fun. yeah, not great. But they also so you know we've got Porto selling. They sold Fabio Silva and they sold Vicinho to Wolves. Two you know very promising young players that they've sold before they've really made an impact on the first team. There's rumours that Diego Leite is going to Valencia. Um, Z Luis, who was a, a good striker for them last season, linked with Spurs in January last year when Spurs were desperately looking for a striker, not been assigned a uh, shirt number. And um, Thomas Estevez, again, another player, again, not assigned a shirt number, an 18-year-old right-back who had a lot of promise. So they're making big sacrifices at youth level to try and keep some of their big names. Um, in my opinion, they had the best uh, player in the in the Premier League last season in Jesus Corona, who... Uh, still contact to the club doesn't look like he's he's moving on um, it looks like they're selling Suarez to China but that's only for a transfer fee of 10 million euros they still might bring in Tony Martinez but again a very in my opinion a very similar signing to that of Taremi you know a good performer in the league last season and if that does come off it looks like it will come off it's been in, in talks for a while um, but that's another big signing yeah that's I mean very different transfer windows and I think we both agree that it puts Benfica as favourites for the title this year I, I just can't see I just Porto's first team is great. I mean, if I know Alex tells the room of Manu, if they were to lose that, that is huge. Uh, I, I don't know how they can replace him. I think we could talk about this with all like the whole pod, but um, yeah, exactly. maybe we should do a special episode for just uh, Porto transfers. But for now, we'll get back to the games from last week. We've got a couple more left. Um, one that caught my eye and that I managed to watch 90 minutes of was uh, Tondela versus Rio Ave. Rio Ave, obviously, um, formerly managed by Carlos Carvalho. They've got a uh, you know, they completed the fairy tale season last year, qualifying for Europe, I believe, on the final day. We both actually watched their European. Yeah. Uh, I have no idea what the team is called. I think from Serbia. Uh, who, uh, they left it very late in that game. They scored two goals, I think, after 90 minutes. And they left it late against again in this game against Tondela. It finished 1-1, but um, Tondela took the early lead. I thought, um, again... You know, Rio Ave were a team that we were quite interested to watch. I was quite interested to see how they played. You know, Rio, Rio Ave were pretty broadly on top for the first half. I thought, you know, they were, they had the, they dominated possession. They were passing the ball around. Um, but I did think they struggled to kind of unlock the defence. Tondela played quite defensively. Um, I think Rio Ave kind of lacked that final ball into the box, that kind of cutting pass. They started with a player that I'm quite interested in, Jelson Dalla up front. Um, oh, yeah. Start the game the Europa League game which I was quite interested in and then came on and I thought he was the difference maker so yeah he changed it they started in this game as the lone striker and I thought he was quite isolated I don't think that's really his game he's more of a he wants to get on the ball either on the wing or as a number 10 why not defenders you know make something happen for his teammates so they really I think they kind of struggled to they struggled to capitalise on their dominance um, and in the end it was Tondela who got the lead they scored a fantastic header but it was just a corner kick you know should have been easily dealt with, but credit where it's due. Great ball in the box. I mean, as you said, fantastic heller. Absolute bullet heller. Great running. Great run into the box, yeah. Um, and Tondela took the lead into the second half. One player who I was surprised to see taken off at halftime was Lucas Piazon. Uh, he was playing as a kind of playmaker. 
trying to make things happen. So I was surprised to see him go off and for the manager to bring on Moreira, a much more physical, direct target man striker. So to me, that was kind of confusing at halftime. I wondered where he was going. But what that allowed was for Jelson Dalla to play much deeper. And with that, I thought actually um, that really opened up the game for Rio Ave. Um, I thought they came out very positively. He, uh, Jelson Dalla was attacking from the left wing, from the number 10 role. Tondela soaked up the pressure for a very long time. Um, but a player I think we both are quite interested in who signed for Rio Ave this summer, uh, Geraldes, um, mm. came on at about the 17-minute mark. And he really changed the game. He really took the game to the next level for Rio Ave. Uh, wanted the ball all the time. He was coming deep to get the ball, looking for forward passes, you know, pass and move, simple stuff, but you know, really effective, quite a direct player. And and in the end, I wasn't surprised that it was him who set up the equaliser. From the highlights I saw, so obviously, uh, we briefly mentioned earlier, Claudio Ramos was uh, Tom Della last season, the Portuguese yeah. goalkeeper. Yeah. Uh, I think he was not like fifth on clean seats last season, like a really important player for them, especially keep like, to keep them up in the league. Mm. He's gone to Porto on a free. Uh, their goalkeeper, so Babaka Nias has replaced him. Uh, I think he's only 22 years old. First of all, he's the thinnest football player I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> he's, he's really tall and really, really thin. Okay. Um, but I just thought he, he just looked a little bit erratic. I thought he was he wanted to get involved. He wanted to come out for crosses, come out for punches. And okay. uh, They almost scored early on in the beginning of the game, didn't they? I think Lucas Pazon rounded him and unfortunately it was offside. But you never want to see a keeper, that, you don't want a keeper who wants to be involved. You want, you want a keeper who's just quiet, does his job, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, no, young keeper. We'll see, we'll see how he gets on. Hopefully he matures into the role. Um, yeah. But it was an unlikely, I thought it was an unlikely goal scorer for Rio Ave. Um, we, we laughed about this when we chatted about the game. So I think about the 85th minute, a uh, young Japanese kid comes on by the name of Ryotari Mishino. Uh, I'm watching the game with the Portuguese subtitles, so I can't really understand what's going on. Um, all I can understand is Manchester City. So I, I imagine this kid's come from Manchester City. Anyway, it, I think it gets to like the 90th minute of the game. Geraldes, uh, great ball, finds his man, simple finish into the bottom right corner. Makes it look so easy. Great goal. You wonder why they hadn't done it all game. Uh, but anyway, they got the, they got the result. Um, I looked up Ryotari Mishino afterwards. Uh, turns out he's 22 years old on loan from Manchester City, never made an appearance from Manchester City, was on loan at um, Heart of Midlothian in Scotland last year. I think he scored a few goals and is on a two-year loan at uh, Rio Ave. So we'll see what happens when he returns as a 24-year-old player to Manchester City. <laughs> getting in the team. I mean, it will be interesting to see. I mean, if you got, you like to hope that if Man City, if he's on Man City's put, they obviously see something in. Um, yeah. So... You know, and this could be a good lead for him. I don't know how he fared in Scotland. I, I think I had a little luck. He didn't get too many goals or assists or anything like that. But yeah, a bright spark on the day. Looked great. But one negative from the game was that Jelson Dalla went off 70 minutes with a shoulder injury. So we'll have to see how serious that is because I thought he was, like I said, I thought he was one of the best players for Rio Ave. And I think they will, if they want to carry on the uh, Europa League push that they started last year, then they'll need him in the league and in the Europa League. Tough Europa League game coming up for them against um, Besiktas. Yeah, Besiktas. Um, yeah, tough Europa League coming up for them against Besiktas. And if they do beat Besiktas, they've got Milan in the last qualifying. Oh. Uh, so it's going to be a tough... We'll have to. I think we'll both follow them in Europe because it's quite a nice story. But Nice like, kits as well. Lovely. I like the kits. Always helps. <laughs> um, a nice little link into the next game. Um, obviously, Tondela had Pepelu last season, uh, Spanish kid from Levante. And... I was going to say that losing him as well will be quite significant for them this season. 
Um, mm-hmm. But he's back in the he's back in Liga Nos, and he's with Grimmerts, isn't he? He's come he's coming on loan again. Yeah, of course. And I thought he looked really good. Yeah, I thought he looked. I thought he looked okay. Um, did you did you catch this game? Gimaraes versus Belenenge, which um, ended one nil to Belenenge, which I think surprised a few people. Yeah, no, I saw the highlights. I thought Pepe looked um, looked all right. I mean, this was another Grimaraes are a team that I'm, I'm really looking to uh, find out a bit more about this season. Um, but I think they'll be disappointed with the loss, won't they? I think it was a very similar. I think it'll be. I think it's very similar to how Boavista played. I mean, you know, a team that in the summer, based on their transfer activity, uh, there's been a lot of excitement about. But I think they underperformed. I mean, you know, I think we've all we've all seen the signing video of uh, Ricardo. Uh, I mean, we could again another thing we could do a whole <laughs> <laughs> just his signing video. But I think you know, it just shows that there's a kind of an air of excitement about them. You know, they've got one of the most exciting players in uh, Marcus Edwards. For any uh, Premier League football fans listening. Um, you might remember him from his days as a youth player at Tottenham, briefly on loan at Norwich, and he's really finding his feet at Victoria Guimaraes. One of the stand-up performers last year, briefly, I think, linked with Porto this year. Um, it will be interesting to see where he, where he goes in his career, whether he sees himself staying in Portugal or trying to earn a move I back. Think, I think Tottenham have got a massive sell-on clause, so if he was to leave, it'd have to be for big money for Guimaraes to actually get something. So, That's fair. Um, I think, yeah, but I feel it'd be good for him to stay another season. Like, like you say, he's, I think he's grabbed the number seven shirt this season. You know, they, it's that's a good sign because it means you know he wants to be there and you know try and make a bit more of a name for himself. I think he's a fan favorite as well. I mean, you know, I'm sure that'll be good for him to uh, you know have the support of his teammates, have the support of the fans, and be a big player in a team where he's relied on and in a league where he's competing for European football. Yeah, so it was quite an even game in the end. Um, Belenens a team that neither of us really know much about. But I thought they had the better of the chances in the first 25 minutes or so. Um, Vittoria playing well. I thought they built up well. They played nice football. It's a strange thing for, to say after we've just bigged up Marcus Edwards. But I think they lacked quality getting the ball into the mm. box. That kind of final pass, I think they did lack a bit of quality. And then they sat people back there, didn't they? They think they were playing five at the back. They had like, you know, yeah, that's nine, fair. ten men behind the ball. But then I thought they defended well. And, you know, Vittoria did have a goal ruled out at 40 minutes. Fernandes with a header. But I don't think you can say it was a completely dominant performance from them. But it was Bellinens who got the goal just before half-time. And it is fair to say it was against the run of play. Similar to the Tondela game, it came from a corner. Uh, it was quite a poor ball into the box, actually. It was one of those crosses Graphic. quite fast uh, and bounced around the six-yard box. Uh, defenders didn't deal with it. Pretty much bounced off the striker into the goal. I liked about this the guy was it Fiabang Fete scored. Yeah. He didn't celebrate. Really made a big thing about not celebrating. He played a few games for Grimmers B a few seasons ago. That's it. He has like no <laughs> affiliation with the club at all, really. And he's he's there like very respectful. <laughs> Maybe he's hoping to earn a move back. Who knows? <laughs> but yeah, so halftime one 0 The game changed when uh, at the sixty minute mark when Lyle Foster, another big summer signing for Gibraltar, came from Monaco, and Edwards, who we just said. They rely on quite a lot. Both came off at 60 minutes. Um, I'm not sure if uh, Edwards was injured. He did go down uh, about 20 minutes into the game. But I was surprised Lyle Foster got the start. I've, you know, I had a little look at stats. He got two goals last season as a striker. Monaco obviously looked great and skipped rid of him. But... Yeah, I mean, you know, new signing. I think for the manager, he's probably keen to give him a run out and just see what he can do. The game changed at about 60 minutes when Foster and Edwards went off. He gave an opportunity to for Ricardo Correja to come on. I think that's what everybody was waiting for. Uh, came on alongside Noah Holm, um, a player I had to look up. 19-year-old Norwegian. They signed from the Leipzig under-19s. 
never played a game for Leipzig senior team. And it really was a game after that game of two subs, really. A story of two different subs. Ricardo Kroesma, who came on and really showed his quality, I thought. Hasn't got this, you know that blistering pace, but you know the dribbling. The crosses. Yeah, exactly. The crosses were so good. The box was fantastic. And that's why, you know, I can, when I compare his game to uh, Noah Holm, who was on the receiving end of those crosses, he had two, I thought he had two great chances to score and he missed both. And for me, though, they were both chances that you would expect the striker to put away. I think he has to be scoring those and he didn't take it. I mean, fair enough, young player. What I was surprised about, like I said, with Lyle Foster not starting and then the fact that Noah Holm came on when they, I don't know if, I couldn't remember if he was on the bench, but they signed a wealth on from um, Pacos yeah. Ferreira. Okay. And I think he got about 16 goals last season, you know. Wow. And I think he was on a free. So I don't know if he was, I couldn't remember if he was in the squad or not, but like, I, I assume he'll come in at some point to play up front. Yeah, yeah. But it's promising in the sense that it's they're, they're buying young, particularly from the likes of Monaco, who've got an excellent scouting. Like, yeah. like they've signed some good players. And Leipzig as well have got produced some really good players. So hopefully those two will, will be able to come, come through this season. Yeah, and, no, and again, Vittoria Gimaraes, another team that they will be expecting more. Uh, yeah, I think the fans will be expecting more from them as well. But the next game that I watched that we were both looking forward to was Morales versus Ferenz, and we were looking to looking forward to it for a, a very specific uh, reason, and that reason is one man, Ryan Gould, a player who we've both been quite fascinated with. I mean, we both saw the story, or you know, I think it must be what seven years ago now. When yeah, a while ago. It was a 17-year-old kid he signed for Sporting Lisbon and just what a story that was. 17-year-old Scottish kid signing from Dundee United. People calling the Scottish Messi and stuff, weren't they? Scottish Messi was bandied about like nobody's business. <laughs> he looked fantastic on the um, highlight reels, I have to say. He had some great highlight reels. He looked great. Um, but, of course, it didn't work out for him. Um, he only made a handful of senior appearances, played mainly in the B team. He went out on a few loans. Um, went on loans for friends once before. Went back to Scotland to Hibernian before. As a bonus, he didn't really impress on any of his loans. But the big surprise in his story is when his contract at Sporting is up, uh, and he takes up the offer to go and play for Ferenc permanently. Because I think for a young player like that who's moved abroad and not made it, to not take the easy decision to go back, mm. really admirable, I think. And you know, he, he went. He was you know, very humble. Took an offer at a second division Portuguese side in Ferenc. And it's worked out for him. It's worked out for him. And and not only has it worked out for him, but he has absolutely transformed himself as a player. I don't think anybody could have seen this coming, the fact that, you know, he was obviously a young flair player, but he has transformed himself, not just physically, but psychologically. Yeah, he looks bigger. He's a leader on the pitch as well. He he speaks the language. We've seen interviews with him where he speaks fluently. And he is an absolute leader on the pitch. You know, it got to... We'll come on to the... We'll talk through the game quickly in a moment, but, you know... 89 minutes in and he's sprinting around the pitch closing down the yeah. while 2-0 down um, really fantastic he was a top goal scorer last season wasn't he yeah from midfield took you know takes yeah. the penalties he's ready to step up for the team uh, really good player um, as I just alluded to Ferenc did go lose 2-0 in this game poor start disappointing for any newly promoted team to lose but you know the overall performance was very promising I thought they had some great chances but they made it very difficult for themselves when they went 1-0 down in the second minute you know, they would have been wanting that positive start to build the confidence, to settle into the game. Um, but yeah, Moran's got a very, you know, it was an easy goal. It was a low ball into the box. Tap in, second minute. Um, I have to say with that, the, the first one, the, the centre-back for um, Forensi, it was like the first minute of the game, he looked like he was out of breath trying to catch the striker. Like it was, I don't know, real, 
really poor. Um, um, I think credit where credit's due. I thought they dominated the game after that. I thought they dominated the rest of the first half and they would, probably would have gone in at half-time uh, feeling quite confident despite being 1-0 down. But, of course, they were really derailed. 47 minutes in, the goalkeeper, a new signing, you know, a fixed experienced Premier League goalkeeper. Oh, and, yeah. And it's a red card. I mean, you know... It's difficult. He just can't do that, can you? He, like, he, sure, he's, come, he's come out to meet the striker, and he's absolutely, you know, he's caught himself short. He has to, if he stays in the box, the striker touches the ball and gets past him. He has to come yeah. out. Made the wrong choice, uh, and, it, and you know, it was a clear red. I think it's a very disappointing for them. Again, you know, second minute of the first half they go to goal down. Second minute of the second half, they go to man down. So they really made it difficult for themselves. But I thought they had to work hard the rest of that game. They were. Game and I think they can be proud of their performance. You know, I think there's a lot more to come from them. I've seen some um, discussion online. You know, people's predictions for the season. I think a lot of people have Ferenc to go down. Um, but based on that, I think they can be positive. Yeah, I think obviously Ryan Gold hit the post in that game. Um, but if he can get if he can get a few goals like he did last season, and like you said already, man, he, he did look like a leader. Like yeah. obviously, I was keeping an eye out for him, but I would have noticed him anyway because he was he yeah. was just like. Running around, closing down. There was moments where he was pressing, demanding his teammates to press with him. Yep. Yeah, someone I'm really going to look forward to seeing more of this season. Yeah, he was the main man on the pitch. Um, I think I wanted to give credit as well to Ferenc player Luca. They both had, I think, a couple of good chances each. They were both. Um, I think they were the two players for Ferenc in the first half who had the confidence to take the shot on. You know, try and create something even at a tight angle outside the box. You know, work the keeper. Give you know obviously there's no crowd, but if the crowd are in, it would have given the crowd a boost. So they were good players. I think there's quality there. I think there's work to do. I think they'll have probably a tough season, but plenty for them to be confident about. I think. Cool. Yeah. So the last game we're going to talk about was um, Santa Clara Maritimo, which is on uh, Sunday at four. The game was uh, it was it wasn't that good. Um, um, ended two 0 to Santa Clara. Um, so they um, Santa Clara came tenth last season. Maritimo came eleventh. And there were almost identical goal difference as well. So this is a game where you know you want to be beating the other ones to sort of improve your position in the in the league this season and sort of give yourself a mark of where you are. Like I said, it was very even. First half was pretty dull to be honest. Thiago Santana for Santa Clara got um, two goals. Um, big Brazilian. He got six goals in thirty-three games last season. Um, so I think you'll be hoping to get a few more. So obviously tonight is a uh, Porto Menens and Pacos Ferreira. Um, Porto Menens were really lucky to avoid relegation last season. So um, I think they're favourites to go down probably. They're losing their big players. And Pacos finished 13th. I'm interested in Pacos because of a big Douglas Tank striker, Brazilian <laughs> striker who I've got my fantasy, who I'm banking on this week, man. Um, and then the other game that got called up as well, of course, was Sporting Lisbon, who I can't wait to see. Um, yeah. And Gil Vincent, uh, that's called due to a number of players uh, testing positive for coronavirus. That'll probably be a familiar occurrence I think this season we'll have to see how that um, progresses I think this would be a good time to talk about how the ways that people can watch these games and the way that we've been watching them we've managed to watch a few games with you know and not only the games of the big the big teams this season and um, yeah if you're interested in it as well you can check out freesports.com which is a great website fully licensed uh, free football they show they seem to show uh, most of the big freeze games so they show most Benfica games Porto uh, Sporting Lisbon Sometimes they'll have uh, Vittoria Gimaraes, games like that. Um, mm. You were telling me about, uh, you introduced me to the app. Yeah, the Livescore app. Um, I, 
I heard it about someone mentioned it on the podcast, and uh, yeah, there seems to be streaming quite a few games. Um, not only the Portuguese, uh, Portuguese league, but um, other leagues as well. Um, mm. That was really handy for the weekend. Um, watched a few games on that. I was going to say yeah, and then you you introduced me to um, abolasport.pt. Yeah, um, abola.pt. That was really good for sort of getting news articles and. Um, in bite-sized chunks as well, which is really good. Yeah, so if you want, you know, if you want to follow Portuguese football, there are, there are ways out there. We're doing this as a kind of light-hearted Dean podcast, but if you want to listen to something more serious, you can listen to uh, A Próxima Jornada, which is a great podcast, which goes, you know, goes quite in-depth. They've got a great website. We recommend you check them out. Um, I already shouted out Tuga Scout earlier. I think, you mm-hmm. know, another great, web, another great resource in English. So if you want to dig into this stuff like us and learn more about Portuguese football. Um, before we go, I think we're just going to check on our fantasy football team. So we before we had a little meeting before we did the record um, and agreed not to tell each other how many points are on. Um, I, spoiler alert, I don't think either of us have done particularly well. So do you <laughs> no, not at all. You want to tell me how many points you got? Uh, I got thirty nine man. Oof, okay. I've got uh, I've got a big tank playing tonight so I'm banking on him. Banker <laughs> Um I got forty one so I'm the winner this week. Um I got oh, man. Alex Teller's got about forty percent of those points. Alex Teller's got me eighteen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, I'd, I've got Reggie Cannon. He got me one point. Disappointed with him. That I've already talked about. Um, and then I, because I was a complete amateur and didn't check who was injured, that Paulinho obviously didn't play um, oh. for Braga. He was top goal scorer. Was he up there? Top goal scorer last season. So I was banking on him, but okay. he hasn't come through. Yeah, I got um, Alex Teller's on eighteen points. Grimaldo on eight points, and another player got me more than two points. So. Not a great one for me. <laughs> we'll try and get better at this as the week goes on. Anyway, well, if you listen to it this far, we just want to say thank you for listening. We're just recording this at home, so it's a bit of a DIY thing. But if you enjoyed it, let us know, and uh, we'll carry on doing this. But yeah, I think we'll leave it there. So thanks for listening. Yeah, I'll see you next week, man. Yeah, see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>